So our reading was uh, from Isaiah, and I'm going to be going back to Isaiah today. We were in Isaiah last Sunday as well. And so I'm going to ask you to turn now to Isaiah chapter 2 again. And we're going to be looking at primarily verses 10 through 22 of Isaiah chapter 2. And if you're looking for Isaiah, I don't have a page number for the Bibles in the seats there, but it's, it's, it's near the middle. So if you just go to the middle, Isaiah is a big book, and you'll find it soon as you look towards the middle. Chapter 2, and I want to start with just verse 11. Verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 2 says this, The haughty looks of man shall be brought low. And the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Lord, I thank you for your word that awakens us and humbles us. Lord, we bow our hearts before you today and ask that you would help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. The human memory is an amazing thing. When you think about the way our brains work, researchers uh, tell us that the, the human mind has almost unlimited storage. Uh, now that doesn't mean that it's easy to get it in there. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't get confused or garbled up once it's there but that the brain has an incredible capacity to take in information, to receive and, and, and to log that information. Um, but our memory needs plenty of exercise. And something that I, I think about when I think about the exercise of our memory was uh, a number of years back when Jerry Lucas came and spoke here. Does anybody remember when Jerry Lucas came? Uh, he was... Once a great basketball star, first for Ohio State, he went on to become named one of the 50 best NBA stars of all time. But after his basketball career, he took up a second career, traveling about, doing conferences, and speaking to a lot of churches on the subject of memory. In fact, he became known as Dr. Memory. And he went on some TV shows back in the day where he would memorize uh, entire pages of the phone book and recite it back in just a matter of, you know, a minute or two. But uh, he, he came here and, and, and kind of taught some of his memory strategies. And um, some of you remember what he taught you. Some of you maybe remember that he was here. And some of you are trying to remember if you were here or not. But it's just fascinating to consider how our memories work. And there's so much to the way the memory uh, uh, operates. And, and then as I thought about this, I realized, you know, we have different kinds of memory. We have like mental memory. 
Mental memory is, is remembering facts and information, and kids uh, in school are certainly exercising this when they study their notes for that science exam or when they memorize a poem. It's just that, that raw data, that information that they're, they're trying to put into their brains. And if a kid ever tries to tell you, you know what, my, my brain is full, I can't take any more in, don't, don't let them fool you. The capacity for the mind to remember is almost limitless. It's just hard getting it in. But then there's also what you might sometimes call muscle memory. And this is a totally different kind of memory. This is that memory that you train your, your body for, like say a basketball player has to have that expert muscle memory to know just how to fire that shot off from just the right point in the basketball court to have just the right angle and trajectory and velocity to go through that little hoop. That's incredible, the muscle memory that it takes to do something like that, or to play an instrument, to know just where to send your fingers, or to how to breathe the air through your lungs into the instrument. It, it, it requires an incredible degree of precision and memory to do this, and to do it well. But then there's a third kind of memory that I also think is important, but that we neglect that we pay very little attention to, and that is what I would call heart memory. This is the heart memory, the, the memorization of certain attitudes or dispositions of our hearts. Heart memory is what prompts our behavior toward others or towards circumstances that we might find ourselves in the midst of. Heart memory is what inclines us towards peace or towards anger. It's what stirs in us courage or fear. Heart memory helps us lean into virtue or draw us into vice. But we think often about training our mental memories or about training our, 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 our muscle memories, but how often do we think about the heart memory and the conditioning that it takes to have our hearts uh, uh, inclined towards what is good and, 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 and true and right. And so the old saying is true, as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. And with our hearts, it's, it's, it's certainly that way. And so this idea of heart memory is very closely related to our pursuit of virtue. And we're talking about virtues during this Advent season, and hopefully you've grabbed one of the Advent devotionals by now. And if you haven't, get one before you leave here today, a daily reading through this season of Advent on these different virtues that we're seeking to um, instill in our hearts and building that heart memory. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's important to understand what is happening in our hearts. So I want us to consider the condition today of our heart memory and specifically what helps to form it or to shape it and finally to strengthen it in the way that it should go. If mental memory requires mental discipline, then we've got to focus and concentrate and use repetition or other techniques to strengthen our minds. And if muscle memory requires a certain physical discipline, we've got to, again, exercise and patiently strengthen those techniques. There's a lot of repetition involved in that. But what is it that is needed for heart memory? to be shaped and pointed in the right directions. 
Mere discipline and focus and repetition are never enough. Because we run up against more than just a physical barrier when it comes to training our hearts. We run up against a spiritual barrier as well. Heart memory is a spiritual challenge. Our heart is subject to that old sin nature, which is stubborn, and it's beyond our ability to control in our own strength. And only the grace of God can transform our hearts and strengthen our hearts to be pointed and shaped in the direction that it needs to go. Only the Spirit of God can remove a, a sinful heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And this begins then as we repent of our sin as we trust in Jesus and what he has done for us, as we learn to walk in his perfect ways. Because at the center of this heart of stone is the stubborn, most stubborn sin of all. And that is the sin of pride. Pride is what really keeps our hearts um, from getting into the shape that they need to be in. It is the most stubborn sin of all. And so the breakthrough to virtue can only happen when the fortress of pride is broken down in us. The breakthrough to virtue is only going to happen when this fortress of pride is broken down in us as we begin to develop the heart memory that God has for us to live. So in this sense, the master virtue is humility. And the key to opening up True heart memory, then, is the dismantling of pride, the embracing of humility. And that's what we're going to look at today. So I know I realized that was kind of a long introduction to get us to our text. But I think we need to see this as we start to understand the importance of humility in shaping us towards the virtue that God wants us to have. So I want to look now more in more detail at Isaiah chapter 2 and beginning in verse 10. And just notice what, what, what is being expressed here. It starts there. I'm going to just begin in verse 10. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted. In that day. And then notice there's verses 12 through 17, a list of all the things that are, are lofty or considered high that will be brought low. It says, verse 12, for the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. First, he mentions the cedars of Lebanon. Against the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan. These, these giant trees that people would pride themselves in having, these will be brought low. Then verse 14, against all the lofty mountains and against all the uplifted hills. You might recall from earlier in chapter 2, last week we saw how God was going to lift up the, the Mount of Zion to be the highest of all hills, and all the others were going to be brought low. So here he's speaking again of the hills and the mountains being brought low. 
Verse 15, against every high tower and against every fortified wall, all the structures that we build, that we think are so strong, that are going to defend us, it's going to be brought low. Verse 16, against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft. This is kind of like the, the economy, the trade, everything that people use to build their wealth by. It's going to be brought low. Verse 17, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Isaiah has a tremendous way of bringing the focus very sharply on this truth and this reality of what God is doing and the power of him being lifted up. Going on in verse 18, And the idols shall utterly pass away. The people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Verse 20, In that day mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. And then finally, verse 22, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? The image here is of a person who depends every moment on air. The, the idea is that man needs breath in his nostrils to survive and that if we go just a short time without that breath we perish it shows how fragile we are how little strength we really have how weak we are and so this calls us to a place of humility which in, in light of verse 19 where it speaks of the splendor and the majesty of God and the weakness the brokenness of man the Puritan preacher John Flavel said, They that know God will be humble, and they that know themselves cannot be proud. And so we see this in scriptures like this, and we learn it from experiences in life. And I want to say there are three paths by which we learn the virtue of humility. Three paths by which God teaches us to be humble. And so we're going to take the time that we have left here exploring these three paths as expressed here in Isaiah and some other passages of Scripture. But I'll just tell you what they are. First is the path of failure. The first path to humility is the path of becoming aware of just how small we are and how far we fall short. It's realizing our weakness. It's getting knocked down by our circumstances or by our enemies or by tripping and falling uh, on our own face. The second path to the virtue of humility is the path of worship. This is where we lift up our gaze to God. We sense his majesty and his power, and we become aware of how awesome he is, and we are humbled by the vision. And then the third path to the virtue of humility is the path of service. This is where we reach out to somebody else to help another, regardless of who they might be. We give of ourselves we seek nothing in return. 
So in the time that we have left, I want us to think in more detail about these three paths. The, the, the path of failure, the path of worship, and the path of service. And I just want to make an important point here as well as we get started down these three paths. And the first is, and that is this. Humility is something none of us are born with. Because of our sin nature, we are not born with this virtue of humility. It's something we're going to, though, all experience at some point. In one way or another, God is going to humble us. Do you believe that? So it's not a question of if we learn humility. It's only a question of how and when. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind as we go through this. In Philippians chapter 2, there's a passage that we often read at Christmas time. It's about Jesus humbling himself, taking on the very nature of a human, becoming a servant, dying on the cross for our sins. He is the example to us, the picture of perfect humility. And yet, that's not how Philippians 2 ends the story, because Jesus dies on the cross, then he rises again. He is exalted. It says in verse 9 of Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So think about this. Every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Humility before the exalted Lord is coming. It's just a question of how you're going to get there. What will put us on our knees before Jesus? Well, one way to end up on our knees, of course, is to fall, to trip, to stumble, to get knocked down. This is the path of failure. It's the path of realizing, you know what, I don't measure up. And unless you're a, a really hardened narcissist, you know how this feels. We've all been embarrassed by our failures, by something we've done, by something that we're ashamed of, by just not doing as well as we had hoped, by being embarrassed. This is a, a, a definite path to humility that we, we all know in one way or another. It's getting knocked to our knees by failure. Now, the limitation in this path to humility is that it looks down instead of up, and the focus then is on failure. The focus is still on ourself, and the vision here is very limited. It doesn't lift us up. I think this is what is described to us in Isaiah. Everything that was lifted up will be brought low. We're to stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. Of what account is he? And maybe this is the most natural path to humility. This is the path that, that, that we're all on, whether we receive God's special uh, grace of revelation or not. Uh, it's just simple life experience. And so many people, I think, are humbled in this way, but they don't see anything else. They don't see the hope or the life that's offered. And so there's so much discouragement and despair and depression. We begin down this path when we discover that there are thousands, even millions of other people out there who are a whole lot better at the things we think we're good at. I always think about YouTube as being a blessing and a curse when it comes to learning how to do something. I take up a new hobby. I want to try to learn something new. So I look up some videos on how to do it. And I think, wow, this will teach me or this will inspire me. But often I look at these videos and I think, man, they are so good at that. And I'm just terrible. It can be discouraging. Because you realize there's like 
hundreds of people out there posting videos that are so much better at it than you. And that's just life. And, and, and so we are, we are certainly humbled by the experience of realizing how, 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 um, how many people are out there who are so much better than us, whatever it is we think we're good at. Well, we continue down this path even before we know God then. When we, when we encounter other things, not just other people, but maybe the magnitude of what God has made. How many of you have stood at the rim of the Grand Canyon and said, wow. You don't have to know God to know there's something humbling about that. Or you've been out in the countryside at night and you've looked up in a cloudless sky and you've realized the vastness of the Milky Way and the stars that go on for, for so vast of distance and you realize, wow, I'm small. And there's something good that you feel in that sense of humility in that moment. We, we, we see how vast the universe is and how little we are by comparison. This is one step towards humility. But there's a better way. A better way. And this comes when we encounter the majesty, not only of God's creation, but of God himself. This is the way of worship. This is the path of, of worshiping God. Isaiah hints at this for us in verse 11 where he talks about the haughty looks of man shall be brought low, the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The, some of the greatest visions of worship are found for us in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 6 is a great picture of Isaiah's vision of, of God high and lifted up. Um, he speaks often of the splendor of God's majesty. And ultimately, this is the humility that will overcome us all in that day when we behold the exalted Lord. This is the path of worship. It's the path of being humbled in the presence of Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the King of Kings. And I want to tell you, this is a, a better form of humility than the humility of failure because this is the humility that will stick with us for all eternity. Why do I say that? Well, in heaven, we will be humble, but we won't be humble because we're constantly seeing our failures, because we're constantly seeing how far short we fall, because we constantly realize how weak and, and insignificant we are. We will be humble for all of eternity because we're going to have a vision always before us of God. And that is the better path to humility. Yeah, and it's just going to be, be really wonderful to realize and to see with unclouded vision who God is and to know the virtue of humility that comes from that. But then the third way to end up on our knees, there's the falling down on your knees, there's the kneeling down in worship, and then there's also another way in which we come down under our knees, and that is to serve somebody else. Jesus was the perfect example of this when he washed his disciples' feet. He got down on his knees and he took that basin and that cloth and he washed their feet. And we do this when we care for somebody else who has a need, uh, even if we, we feel like it's maybe beneath us. It's a great experience, a great path to humility to serve others. There are countless ways to serve uh, to exercise the heart memory of humility. Maybe it's visiting somebody. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a card to encourage somebody. Maybe it's giving somebody a, a bag of groceries. Maybe it's helping your neighbor out around their house. Maybe it's ringing the bell for the Salvation Army for an hour. 
The list can go on and on and on. And there are so many ways in which we experience the path of humility and exercise the, the heart memory of virtue by just simply serving somebody else. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Favorite story of mine is about a, a kindergarten teacher who learned this lesson. Helping a little boy get on a pair of cowboy boots as he was preparing to go out to recess. And this poor kindergarten teacher had to push and twist and do all she could to get those cowboy boots onto this little boy's feet. And when she finally got them on, the little boy said, um, they're on the wrong feet. You know, so then she had to twist and pull and work those boots to get them off his feet again, to finally switch them onto the right feet. And so she twists and pushes and does all she can to get those boots back on that little boy's feet, and then he says to her, these aren't my boots. So she pulls and tugs and is starting to feel uh, a little frustration and finally gets him off. And then the little boy says, they're my brother's boots, but my mom said I have to wear them. So she goes back, puts the boots back on again, pushes, twists, and everything it takes to get these boots on. And then she finds his coat. It's time to put the coat on. That goes fine. No problem at all. She says to the boy, where are your mittens? He says, I put them in my boots. Ways to serve that humble us. The first path to humility is when those failures knock us down. That puts us on our knees. The second path is we kneel down in worship. The third path is we kneel down in humble service to a kindergartner who needs a pair of boots at recess time. I don't know the best tricks and techniques to sharpen our mental muscles. But I do know that when it comes to heart memory, vision is key. And this must be our vision if we're going to develop the virtue of humility. We find this in, uh, in the life of Mary. And I'm going to ask you just to turn with me now to Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46. There's probably no better example or illustration for us in Scripture than Mary and her humble acceptance of what God called her to do and to be. She, um, at this point in the story, has gone to visit her relative, Elizabeth, who is also pregnant and uh, going to soon have a son, John the Baptist. And uh, when, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, the baby jumps in Elizabeth's womb. And um, 
Then Mary says these words, uh, recorded to us the, the Magnificat of Mary, beginning in verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So you get the sense of worship here in what she says, because every sentence that from this point forward follows the same pattern. She's referring to God. He has done this. He has done that. He has done this. Listen to what she says, beginning in verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Humility may seem elusive to us today, but it's the one virtue that we're all going to achieve eventually. So just remember, it's just a question of the route. When and how. Will we fall flat in failure? Will we be humbled in our worship or in our service? And maybe you've been humbled already. You've experienced that. You know what failure is. Maybe with your family or in a career or in an important relationship. Maybe your self-confidence is shot. You know all about that kind of humility. Don't waste your failures. They've brought you to a new place of seeing. Don't stay there. Don't keep looking down and wallowing in it. Look up to God. Let him lift your head. Uh, my mind has all week been on Psalm 3.3. You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Let God lift your head so that you can see the majesty and the holiness of God and the opportunities that are around you to serve someone else. It's as simple as putting cowboy boots on a kindergartner. Savor every moment you can to worship Christ our King, to humbly serve in simple ways. A common Advent theme is peace, and it is this kind of humility that sets the stage for peace in our hearts. Let the peace grow in you. Let it spill over into others. And let it bless you in a Christ-exalting way at this time. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts before you, humbled by the thought of our shortcomings, by the vision of your majesty and splendor, and by the lessons we learn as we serve one another in simple ways. God, help us to, to exercise this heart muscle, this heart memory of this virtue and the key of humility. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.